The Money Show. Other people's money. And that other person this evening is none other than Stavros Nikolaou, the senior executive responsible for trade development at Aspen Pharmacare. But he became a household name during the COVID crisis and one of the most often quoted and interviewed business leaders in South Africa with issues related to the crisis by virtue of the fact that he is involved in a multitude of business organizations, but also, of course, works with uh, Aspen Pharmacare, which is South Africa's most globally diverse drugs maker um, and therefore has the science to back it all up. Have things calmed down for you a bit, Stavros? It's, uh, it's good to have you on The Money Show, not for once talking just about COVID. Bruce, uh, firstly, I'm delighted to be back on, and uh, thanks very much for this opportunity. Have things calmed down? The simple answer is no. Um, We're certainly not out of the woods yet with COVID, but I think there's a lot of, uh, I think what we call a hangover effect um, of things that you've carried over from COVID into, uh, you know, into the peri-post-COVID period. What are the big things that are worrying you at the moment? Bruce, I think when one looks at that, you know, you, you've got to look at uh, what's going on globally firstly and then what's going on in the country and then what goes on in your own business, right? I think those are the three ways of looking at things. So um, I, I don't want to sound too cliched here, but the as with most business, if not all business leaders right now, I think the uh, Ukrainian invasion is, um, is, is not good for certainty globally. Uh, it's not good for our country, uh, particularly... Uh, when you look at a, a, a long-term war and the impact it would have on emerging markets such as our own, I think we've we've just successfully completed a, an, an investment conference a few days ago, and which I thought was superb, incidentally. But, um, you know, if there's going to be this impact on emerging markets because this is a protracted war, then I'm afraid uh, it's going to be something that concerns all of us. Um, at, a, at a country level, uh, Bruce, I think what sort of keeps me awake at night is the high levels of um, the, the high levels of poverty, uh, okay. the inequality that exists, um, and I, I think uh, all of us, no matter what sector we belong to, I think we need to recommit. You know, we've all been caught up in this COVID warp, and I think we need to recommit to the uh, the S. It's got to be a capital S in ESG. And part of that must be how do we solve some of these inequality problems, not, not least of which, how do you create more entrepreneurs in our country that will lead to a, a, a bolstered middle class? So I think those are some of the country issues that keep us awake at night. And uh, then finally, when you're running any business, I suppose, or when you're part of a team that is running a business that's as globally diverse as Aspen is, um, of course, you've got to, on a country-by-country country basis, see how you, uh, how you manage and handle these challenges. I mean, interestingly, Aspen has a business in both the Ukraine and Russia. So, you know, it's, uh, we, we lament South Africa all the time, but there are challenges in most, if not all, emerging markets. 
Most certainly, and some are just a little bit more intense at the moment than others. We have our own levels of intensity. I mean, you've touched on those at the moment. As far as the COVID waves are concerned, we've seen Shanghai getting locked down today and as the Chinese try and cope uh, with outbreaks there, they were very aggressive at the beginning, of course, and limited the spread of COVID. And now COVID invariably is spreading amongst populations that aren't particularly well vaccinated and have no sort of crowd immunity. Um, We seem to be... Oh, I'll say this so reservedly and carefully, um, but we, we seem to be quite resilient despite our low levels of vaccination in South Africa. We, we are, but I, I think we're, we're also suffering from a, a, a dose of complacency. And I mean, you know, you can talk about many different types of pandemics. There's a pandemic of complacency here as well, Bruce, and we, we're certainly not out of the woods. And I think what's immensely concerning for me and and other people in the healthcare industry is that the foot's gone completely off the pedal when it comes to to the vaccination program. And uh, the best way to prevent variants of concern emanating uh, anywhere, but uh, in South Africa, we've often been one of the first to sequence these new variants, is that you have to vaccinate significant parts of your population. You have to boost them in time and I'm afraid we've gone completely off the boil. So if you have a look at, uh, you know, and I, I know we said we're not going to delve too much into, uh, you know, all I've done last is speak COVID. Last question. Last question. But I think you ask a very important question. It's very tempting for me not to go in that direction yet, Bruce. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to for a minute or two. Uh, probably my two biggest disappointments um, during the last 24 months, and as you correctly say, I was, I was immensely seized and immersed in this whole pandemic, there are two things that stand out. The, the first is our inability to breach that 50% vaccination threshold in our country, and that is partly due to some of the policy decisions we took. Um, I know it's very difficult to have conversations around mandatory vaccines, but you know, I've just, I've just returned from France, and I, I, had, uh, I had the occasion to meet President Macron's advisors, and they were saying to me how effective the um, you know va- vaccine certificates to access public facilities, whether it's trains, planes, or buses, and and that you know they've almost doubled their vaccination rate, and uh, we hesitated, you know, and this was all time sensitive. We should have pushed the button on that and faced some of the consequences, but at least if you don't want to go mandatory, go restricted access. It's a very effective way of doing it, and uh, not all is lost. We can still go in that direction. So that was one of the big disappointments, uh, Bruce. The other one related to when we approached the European Union for vaccines, um, and uh, we, you know, we, we contacted uh, the, uh, the the health commissioner Stella Kyriakides. This was in January 2021, and I'm afraid she couldn't assist us. And so those were probably my two biggest disappointments at the time. But the, the former is really something that we can rectify with immediacy if we push And the problem is we, we, we're poised to destroy millions of doses of vaccine because they're about to expire and many are more again to reach expiry in the weeks and months ahead. Bruce, you're quite, you're quite right. I mean, uh, and, and many people have sort of stopped me even at a restaurant to say, well, what is the value of vaccinating now? Arguably, it's more important to vaccinate right now in terms of where we are. As you correctly point out, look at what's going on in, in the Korean Peninsula, in China, in Hong Kong, and 
Brazil the other day recorded 300,000 cases. So there are two very important messages that need to be held out there. The first is that if you want to prevent variants of concern, now you will always get variants, but you've got to diminish both the pathogenicity and the extent of the variants that you get. And the best way to do that is to vaccinate big parts of the population. And the second thing is, Bruce, we are going to have a fifth wave in our country, regrettably. Um, I'd, I'd like to say we're not, and uh, we don't know the severity of it, of course, but when you do move into the winter months, you do get um, the, the twinning of pandemics. We've also neglected chronic diseases in this whole uh, yeah. sort of a period of immense anxiety. People haven't presented or looked after themselves when it comes to chronic diseases. Those are all bad signs leading into winter. And that's why we ought to be vaccinating now more so than ever. Stavros, I promise we will talk about money in a moment. Stavros Nikolaou. Uh, um, you're, you're welcome. I'm happy to, Bruce. I'm more than happy to. to no, speak exactly. About. But that's, what, that's why we've got you here. We need to pick your brain about money. I'm curious as to how you see money and how you grew up with money and all of those things with Stavros Nikolaou in a moment. The Money Show. Other people's money. <laughs> Briefly. Other people's money. Savros Nikolao is our guest this evening, an executive at Aspen Pharmacare and a passionate proponent of defeating COVID-19. But Savros, tell me the family story. How did the Nikolaos arrive in South Africa? Bruce, firstly, I, I grew up in a household that was rich in love but poor in assets and money. <laughs> um, a very interesting story, not too dissimilar to other immigrant communities in the, sure. in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s uh, who emigrated to South Africa. So my, my, both my parents were of Cypriot origin. Um, my, my dad arrived on the shores of South Africa in 1935. He was 15 years old. He was forced to leave his family as a big family. Um, they were feeling the, you know, the Cyprus, uh, the eastern, very small eastern Mediterranean, um, a Mediterranean island, and pretty much the rest of Europe were feeling the after effects of the Great Depression. There were very little prospects, uh, abject poverty, and uh, he decided to sail for greener pastures in South Africa. There was a bit of a joke in those days, Bruce, that uh, the streets of Joburg were paved in gold nuggets, right? <laughs> So yes. I think he found out when he arrived here eventually via Dar es Salaam, he could only afford his fare to Dar es Salaam initially from Cyprus to Dar, worked there for a further four months to get the rest of the fee and then arrived uh, in Durban and made his way up to Johannesburg. And uh, uh, as with many, uh, you know, separate and Greek immigrants at the time, he, he worked for many years. Uh, he worked for a cousin of his who, I only paid him, I think, uh, 20 shillings over that two-year period or something like that. And eventually got into his own, uh, what we would call a cafe, Bruce, you and I, it's a, it's a sort of a general store. And his very first business he owned was in Orange Grove. I grew up in Orange Grove. Um, my mother had a very similar story. She left Cyprus in the, in the 50s. Um, again, this was post-World War II very slow economic recovery in parts of Europe. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they they got married, I think, in 1959 it was. I was born in the 60s um, and learned a lot of life lessons working in the cafe, actually. Uh, 
So um, unfortunately, I lost my dad at a young age. I was in matric, I was 16 years old. And that taught me a lot of lessons around money in itself, though, Bruce, because I, I had to run this cafe in my matric year and study at the same time. Um, but the, the interaction you have and the diversity that you learn, just dealing with the general public at that level and, and learning about how to buy stock, keep stock, how to sell it, how to mark up a product, those are lessons that are invaluable that you will not learn at any university. So I guess I was blessed in many respects, Bruce, to have had that experience. Um, went to a school called Highlands North Boys High, which uh, was a public school, a very rough public school in those days. Yeah, but, but the Highlands has produced some astonishing, astonishing business leaders, hasn't it? <laughs> it, it has, it has, Bruce, and you got you got two extremes. I mean, you've got a really good uh, group of academics and then you've got the guys that uh, that were dropping out and there's always a joke that some of them were on death row, you know, literally. It, it was a very interesting experience. It taught you a lot about, about human behavior. And uh, I, I must say in those five years, three of the five years, Highlands North produced the Junior City Council Mayor of Johannesburg. So they kind of spoke about a public school you know, with that had a, it was a melting pot of, of immigrants, but geez, you learned a lot of lessons, a lifelong lesson, Bruce. But I mean, these are tough lessons that I'm sure, you know, many kids are thrust into difficult environments today. And, you know, you, you wouldn't want your kids to have the life lessons that you've had. But I, I love the way how you take those hardships and turn them into positives. And, you know, I don't, you know, did your dad know that he wasn't well? Did he tee you up for success or were you simply thrown into the deep end of running an incredibly tough business to run. I mean, you would have had a kitchen there, no doubt. There would have been served some hot dogs and hamburgers and some soft serves and there would have been cigarettes and there would have been sweets and chocolates and ice creams and cool drinks and all sorts of things that had to be serviced out of the cafe. Um, and, uh, you know, did you just, were you thrust in the deep end or had you had some sort of forewarning that this is what you were going to have to do? Bruce, a bit of both. But, I mean, if you're looking at silver linings, I can tell you... Uh, I was the best stock kid at break time, right? And uh, um, with with sweets and chocolates. And I, I remember, you know, I was one of the smallest guys at uh, at school. And I, I joke with my best friend. His name is Maurizio Mariana. He's part of the Mastrantonio group and an attorney today. But we, we he used to trade his his mom's sandwiches, which you can now buy at Mastrantonio. I used to trade my dad's chocolates and sweets to get protection from the bigger guys, so we weren't bullied. So. I think there were all of those little lessons that emanated out of the cafe as well, because you could trade off sweets for protection, right? But um, to answer your question more directly, um, my, my dad uh, fell ill for about two weeks, two years before he unfortunately yeah. succumbed to to uh, to lung cancer, and so I, I was kind of thrust into this quite early on. Um, and, you know, my Saturday nights were spent working in the cafe, not really going out. And, you know, you kind of reflect later on in life and say, well, was that a bit of misfortune? I actually don't see it as, as misfortune. Um, I think it taught me a lot of values and, you know, principles that you now espouse in life. And uh, I think the biggest lesson I learned then is that you, you've got to deal with the the cards that you dealt with, uh, you, you know, you you can't uh, you you can't sort of foresee what the what you're going to be dealt in life, but you've got to manage uh, 
the, you know, the, the cards that you've been dealt with. And then more importantly, I think you learn about uh, what is the best way to have an impact in life. And that's what I think everyone should look at. You know, you're on this planet for a finite period of time. None of us live forever. And you've got to say, well, what is the best impact that I can have? And I think I'm very fortunate and I'm, I'm blessed to be at Aspen because, um, you know, Aspen people wake up every morning and say, well, how many lives am I going to save today? And how many people's quality of life am I, am I going to improve? So I've always had very early on, and that's why I studied pharmacy, because it gave me a blend between commerce on the one hand and on the other hand, a fascination with medicine. Um, and I'm, I'm able to straddle both lines. So you can create and generate value for shareholders, but in the same breath, um, there's a patient that you look after and lives that you save. And I have very few people are fortunate enough to be in my position to have that type of impact on society. So I'm really and pleased, the, I must say. No, absolutely. And I mean, you've, you've done good, as they say. And I mean, the kids of, of, of immigrants often are the kids who feel like they've got to try even harder than everybody else in order to succeed because they see how tough it is uh, for their parents. And so often it works out it works out very well. And the sacrifices that parents make for their children, of course, um, count for future generations. It's tough on that generation, but, it, you know, it, if kids settle well and land well, um, the the the... the, the, the the joy can be boundless, I suppose, for for gener future generations of family. Do you pay tribute to your family with your family um, enough? Do you think, Bruce? Look, I think I, I'm just going to go back to this thing of you know what impact do you make on society, right? And I think I think the impact's twofold. It's it's by your your actions and your deeds in life, um, and then secondly, I suppose the legacy that you leave behind through your own kids, right? And, and something that my, my mom and dad, you know, they, they worked 18-hour they worked days every day. It's a grinding existence. It's not pleasant being in a cafe environment. It's, it's really, it's like hard labor almost. But they, they, they never complained because they always saw one thing, and that was to educate their children. And if they got educated children, then that was the reward that they sought. So I, I suppose as you move into the next generation, um, it's, it's how you instill that same value system in your own kids. And that's what I've tried to do. My kids, I've got two kids at university, the one doing medicine, the other one doing commerce and corporate finance. They're both at Wits University, incidentally, where I studied. And, you know, I believe in our teaching institutions. I mean, a lot of people have said to me, why aren't your kids studying abroad? I mean, my son got offered a, a, a soccer scholarship at UCLA. He never took it on, uh, partly because of my influence, I guess. Um, so I think we've got to believe in the value systems that we instill in our kids. And that's what I was very fortunate to receive from my parents. And hopefully I'm passing that on to the next generation. But importantly for our country is whatever our talents, our skills, our experiences are, we've got to utilize those for what I call social capital. So I'm very much a capitalist at heart. But I also think you have to build what's around you. To succeed, and uh, if you're just focused on yourself and your own wealth, then unfortunately everything around you will collapse, and you will collapse eventually too. Stavros Nikolaou, thank you very, very much indeed. Stavros Nikolaou, his day job is at Aspen Pharmacare. <laughs> the other eighteen hours a day, because um, he works eighteen, um, are spent on social capital. Thanks, Stavros.